Hey, everybody. How's it going? Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to take a second to thank our sponsor for the podcast, Houghton Horns. Houghton Horns is a family-owned business in Keller, Texas, with a mission to help provide you with the resources and tools to help make your music making more effective and enjoyable. During COVID-19, Houghton Horns has newly expanded policies that make it easier to purchase and test drive the best equipment during a time when safety and staying home are top priorities. There's a 15-day money-back guarantee with free shipping and free returns on new instruments and mouthpieces and multiple easy financing options on all inventory. Terms and conditions apply. If you're interested in trying out an amazing instrument in the selection of brass instruments that they have, now is the time. In addition to the musical instruments they provide, Houghton Horns is committed to creating high-quality music education content to help get great playing and pedagogy videos into the hands of those who need it. Check out HoughtonHorns.com and their YouTube channel, Houghton Horns, for more information. All right, that's enough from me. Let's get into the episode. Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and today I am here with second trumpet with the San Francisco Symphony, Guy Piddington. Uh, Guy, I, I met Guy, I don't know if we met, I suppose I was at an audition a long time ago with you, the one that you won for San Francisco. You did a class at Northwestern uh, during my time there, and then we actually finally met, met I think, uh, like you were saying, a little over a year ago um, at our alumni Northwestern event, and I Asked him if he'd want to do this. Hopefully, I was thinking to go to San Francisco and do this, but unfortunately, COVID-19 uh, is not allowing that to happen, at least in that capacity. So I'm really thankful that we're able to do this over Zoom. Uh, thank you so much for joining me, Guy. I'm thrilled to be here. It's great to see you, Ryan. Yeah, this is awesome. He, uh, no, None of you can see this, but he is uh, on a virtual background, and it's Davies Symphony Hall in the back, so it feels like very professional. Uh, to do this particular interview. So um, as always, I think we should just get started with your sort of musical background. Uh, however far back you think is relevant to get a picture of what got you into playing the trumpet, into music, and uh, we'll just sort of trail a lineage here uh, for a little while. Sure. Um, well, I always liked the tr sound of the trumpet. Um, my dad played it as a kid for fun, and so he had old beat-up cornet that I eventually later played in marching bands because I figured if something's getting beat up, it may as well be the instrument that's dented already. Um, so um, when it came time to choose an instrument, I, I pretty much, he would take the trumpet out and play it every once in a while. I just thought it sounded really cool. Um, so I guess that was kind of the first thoughts of like, just really enjoying the sound. And I remember like taking the little exam they had in elementary school for listening to different instruments and what you liked. And um, I still had a very open mind. It wasn't just gotta get trumpet, but I listened to them all. And I'm like, to me, the trumpet really continually spoke to me. And, and it was just a really cool way to um, learn music. I never played piano, but um, it was a fun bonding thing for my dad and I, cause I had no idea, you know, you push any valve combination down could be Lots of different notes. I had right. no idea what the intervals were, and so we would we would jam, and and it was very fun to learn trumpet with him. So that was the first kind of like piqued my interest. Um, uh, I guess 
I always liked learning and figuring out new things, exploring music. Um, but it wasn't until probably mid high school that I really thought I could see myself doing something in in the music world. I wasn't quite sure what. But um, my uh, first serious trumpet teacher was Paul Markello of the Montreal Symphony. Um, just think the world of Paul, and, and he totally changed my world about how music worked. I had no idea how great orchestra music could be at that point. I think I was 16 when I started studying with him. And his energy was just, um, he was a huge influence and still is. He's just such a great player and, and teacher. So he really got me excited about all the other things you could do in the music world and got me to go to Interlochen Arts Camp one summer. So that was my goal that summer <laughs> was to say, hey, is this, it's so intense and you're meeting people from all around the world and getting inspired. So I, I went to Interlochen at, at like, I guess I was 17. It was right before my senior year in high school with the goal of, I want to see if this is something that I enjoy to this degree. It's another mm -hmm. level. And, um, and I loved it. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to go forward. I want to do this. So I would say, you know, Paul and, and Doug Prosser was when he le Paul left Rochester. I grew up in Rochester, New York. When Paul went up to Montreal, um, Doug Prosser came to play principal in that orchestra. And so I had two phenomenal teachers in high school to really guide me and encourage me and um, just fantastic guys and teachers that I've, uh, you know, played with Doug in an RPO for many years afterwards when I was freelancing. So it's, it's amazing what your past can, how it can influence and you keep running into people and, and, you know, working with, with idols, you never think would happen sitting next to guys. So, um, so that's kind of the beginning foundations. Um, then I, uh, auditioned for colleges and knew I wanted to go into music and knew I wanted to perform and, um, and teach on the side, but I knew that performing was what I wanted. I didn't want a full-time teach to begin with. I definitely wanted to like <laughs> try my, my, uh, put myself in the ring and see what my, uh, my outcomes could be in, in the orchestra world. So I went into, to Eastman School of Music to study with, uh, Charlie Geyer and, and Barbara Butler. And it was their last year at Eastman. And I remembered, they might be going to Northwestern. So I auditioned there too. <laughs> Cause I was like, <laughs> I don't want to not get into one and have an issue at Northwestern was already, you know, really huge school even before they showed up. So I, it couldn't hurt to go there. Right. <laughs> so, but you didn't know what teacher was going to be there. So I ended up having to make the decision to go to uh, Eastman before they did, which was also a gamble, but they ensured us that uh, anyone who was going to be at Eastman, they weren't going to leave us hanging. They would at least do that year at Eastman and then leave for Northwestern. So yeah, I, again, it's one of those things we were talking earlier about uh, having to kind of go with the flow a little bit in all aspects of music life and, and career that uh, I had to go to my first school as a freshman knowing might not complete staying here if I really wanted to follow them, which... I knew they're they're the gurus, right? Sure, <laughs> they're, they're who yeah, you go for. So you know, inevitably that's happened, and they went to Northwestern, and a whole bunch of us transferred over. And so I finished my undergraduate degree with them, and you know, learned everything under the sun, and still think about all their stories and teachings, and um, and it's funny how when you the further you go in learning anything, you kind of I, I sometimes will think about some of. I'll practice something, right? And and I'm like, oh, I remember Charlie talking about this and how it impacted me then. And then I think, oh, maybe he really meant something like this. So it can affect you then and it still changes the way you your mindset is and in your perspective too. So um, it was, I mean, they really create such an amazing environment as you know, and so many of us know yeah. that uh, 
it was hard to leave a school like Eastman um, and, and my hometown. You know, it's, it was nice to get away from col- from from go to college away from home, but also to leave Eastman was a little like, ah, oh, you always want to go to Eastman, and but so was Northwestern. So I'm like, all right, this will be a fun adventure. So I finished yeah, up there. Not bad to have those two options, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, and and I was glad that it, they still could accept transfers because I didn't know what would happen. So that was the other thing. If you go to Eastman and you get and you get stuck, you didn't know who was going to be there at that point. And uh, so I didn't want to be at Eastman and then say, now I can't go to Northwestern because everyone's trying to go to Northwestern. And yeah. you know, it was, it was a little bit in flux at that point, not not knowing what was going to happen. But uh, they took care of us as they always do, and and it was just the best. And I I, I love those guys. They're they're really yeah. amazing and. So then after that, they, they, um, I wanted to go into a master's program and audition for those, um, a bunch of different schools and ended up going to Juilliard and studying with Phil Smith. Um, so I got two years with Phil, which again, was just like, I felt like so lucky that it worked out like that. And to get to go to Juilliard as a master's student, for me at least, uh, I think I got way more out of it as a master's student with already understanding more about my abilities and already working on a lot of my routines and weaknesses. And so, you know, surely you're still working on those, but uh, <laughs> even now, <laughs> but, oh, yeah. but, uh, but, uh, I was glad I was an older student, kind of had a better idea of being a young adult in a big city like Manhattan and, um, and getting the influences of all the amazing orchestras that are there and the orchestras that went to Carnegie. So, um, I really loved the, path that I had that, that took me to all these places in the right time. Sometimes things work out at the right timing, even if you don't know what that timing is. And I, I feel really glad that um, all those things, I, I was, you know, working hard for sure. But I was like, man, to have all this and to soak it all up was just exciting as a kid, wondering where your career is going to go and who you're going to meet and how the influences will go. So uh, that might have been a long-winded history. No way. <laughs> but I, you know, give you this little background of all the different places I went as a, as a kid. Yeah, I was thankful to go to Northwestern as a grad student as as well for the same reason. I was a little bit more formed as like a human being and what I wanted to do and what I wanted to get out and being able to sort of, I mean, they told me what to do, right? I did like, you know, I, I drank the Kool-Aid, so to speak, but there was also <laughs> an amount of like something I was bringing to the table of what I was seeking. And I think, yeah, being older for me in particular was, was great because I had some really important mentors when I was younger. Um, to sort of help me like basically become a human being so that when I went there, it was like still working on, you know, human being type things. But um, yeah, it's interesting. I I would totally agree with that. Um, So you graduated from Juilliard. Um, Did you stay in the New York area after that? Um, Did you like kind of where did your career take you after that? Yeah. So uh, I had taken a only one audition in undergrad for Philadelphia Orchestra, of course, you know, I was shooting low. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, why? And after I left it, I'm like, why was that my first thought? But I, it, you know, I really didn't want to, I know some people wanted to take auditions just for the experience. And I got right or wrong. My, my take on it was I didn't want to go to an audition just for an experience. I wanted to win. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I wanted to at least be in the mindset, even if I wasn't going to win it. I, to me, I didn't, you either kind of go in all, and practice that way, or you don't. It, it, I don't. I don't know. So for me, I, I thought like, okay, my skills are better. Maybe I have a shot. I remember Chris Martin and one young, you know, younger than I was at that. No, 
right around the same time, I guess. Um, and so I was like, hey, what do I have to lose? You know, I, I felt good. A, a year or two prior, it would have been crazy for me to show up to any audition. Uh, I, I don't think I would have been in, in contention, but I was, I was doing pretty well and getting into some good schools. And um, so I just felt like, you know, <laughs> so I auditioned for Philly and it didn't go like I planned. It was okay, <laughs> yeah. but I didn't move on and nothing happened. And I remember like, Ooh, that was kind of rough. <laughs> like I really thought I was going to do better. Um, but I took a couple other auditions for sure during grad school that, that were definitely helpful of trying to figure out how I operate an audition because it's totally different. So I was trying to get the audition, the orchestra job and, and, um, hadn't happened. So I decided, uh, I'm like, well, I'm already kind of in New York. I didn't really get to work much while I was at school a little bit, but there's so much going on. I just wanted to soak it up instead of trying to like gig a lot at the same time. Sure. Um, I mean, the, the freelancers in New York are amazing. Like there's so many great talents there um, that I'm like, you know, they've got, they've got amazing work and I, there's time for me later if, if I decided. So after meeting some people in town and seeing some, some other gigs and jobs, and I just figured why leave New York? If I could find a place that was um, affordable, with some other, you know, friends and musicians in town, um, figured, hey, I'll give it a shot. Let's let's do some freelancing and, and be inspired and still get to take lessons with all these world-class musicians in the New York area. Um, so I, I stayed in New York and, yeah, just tried to put my put myself in, in, in it all and see where I could get some work. Uh, so New York was the thing. I, I freelanced there for about 10 years with a couple one-years uh, with orchestras in the meantime there. But... Uh, um, New York was the the place for me to really test the waters and and grow as a musician with lots of different um, things getting thrown at you uh, while trying to get the full time job. Yeah, we were talking about this before the microphones turned on uh, officially. Um, this idea that uh, I I think I'll, I was this way. I don't know if you were this way, but you know the goal was to win a job as soon. Um, as soon as I could out of school, right? I just didn't want to have any time in between. Um, but you obviously took, you had 10 years. Of course, you had some one years, you were playing with orchestra. So it wasn't like you were not in an orchestra, but uh, there was like 10 years of freelancing. Uh, but because you were in such an awesome place, it seemed like you were able to pick up possibly uh, almost like a th- third education, right? You had your undergrad, your master's, and now this third education. I'd be curious if you kind of just wanted to dive into some of the things you feel like you learned that you can kind of only learn on a job from these people who are doing it at a super high level that you feel helped you find success, you know, um, continued success in your career. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, one thing I like to, to tell some of your listeners is it's it's funny. Like, I, I when you win a job in an orchestra, well, I should say, when you go to an audition, it's it's not like going. I don't know. I compare it sometimes to to golf tournament. You know, you could you could be thirtieth place in a golf tournament and and you could win a pretty good chunk of change, right? <laughs> like yeah. You're, you in, in our world, if you win the audition, you've hopefully got a nice setup. You got a good job. You got some security. If you get second, it's like thanks for showing up. Right. <laughs> you know, like right. like second place, you were that close, and and and, and it doesn't it doesn't seem. I'll say that it doesn't seem like it gets you anything, right? Like you didn't get the job. You. Uh, after all the years of doing it, sometimes that's wrong because often when you do well at an audition, like a lot of people hear about it. You can get other work through that, especially if you're freelancing. So um, whereas I'm like, okay, I got runner up at all these places or finals or anything and you're kind of bummed because of that 
it often gave me credibility for getting hired for jobs when I was young. So when I first started, um, what I would say is try to get yourself noticed somehow. If you're good at freelance after school, which a lot of us have to, there's just not enough jobs um, and availability. So there's a lot of competition. So whatever you can do to kind of get your voice uh, heard helped me. So, you know, sure, I played for other teachers and they can help you a little bit to a certain degree. Absolutely. But you still have to prove yourself. Because <laughs> if you're on the gig and a teacher helped you get it and you don't, you know, quite, you know, deliver, I should say, and you're, uh, it will hurt your case. So for me, I felt like I could do some of the jobs, but people didn't know me. I was, you know, your degree doesn't always get you a whole lot, even in a super competitive field like New York scene. Um, I went to Juilliard. They're like, okay. <laughs> like yeah, right. that, you know, it, it's all right. Well, I did too. A lot, a lot of freelancers <laughs> in New York did too. Like they're older than me and been working for years. So why hire a guy, you know? Um, so your job performance really makes a huge, and, and the way you present yourself, your attitude, it's not just playing, you know, playing has to be there. No doubt. Like that's a given. If you're hired on a job, we're expecting that you're going to do it because of your reputation and your past performances. So, um, for me, freelancing was kind of a, there was a lot of fun. And of course, there were some downsides too that, that were, you know, a little bumming. It just it's a bummer. Uh, just to, you want to work more. You want to see yourself in a job. Like you said, I would have loved a job while I was still at school and had to live, like, I got to leave early or right, right out of school. Right. would have been great. Um, could have been possible. It just didn't, the cards didn't fall that way for me. So, but in a sense, like, Freelancing offered so much, and it really tests your ability to, you know, you could get called for a job last second, and they're, hey, the, the concert's already going. It's the first time I played with a Met. The concert was going. <laughs> like, like, no joke. I get a phone call. I luckily was home in my apartment, and, and it was like, hey, uh, it's like 7.05, right? And I'm like, and they said, hey, can you, we were short a trumpet player for Turndo. I'd never heard Turndo at that point. I okay. <laughs> like I wasn't a big opera buff at that point. I liked it, but I certainly didn't know, um, all the different operas. Especially. I should have known that one. That's a huge one. But, um, I said it's seven o'clock, seven one. <laughs> and they're, they're like, Hey, can you get here for, for an offstage part? And I'm like, uh, I assume it's at eight o'clock. I could get, grab my horn. What's the concert dress? You're off stage. Don't worry about it. Grab your horn and go. The concert's going. We need you here within 45 minutes for the first <laughs> offstage call. And I'm like, what? Like, I didn't know if this could I catch the subway in time. Could I, you know, like, uh, if I grab a cab, is there going to be rush hour traffic? So either one of them was like, uh, I might not make it. So, I, so first off, I, I, I guess one lesson was I told them straight up front, like, I will do my absolute best. I have my trumpet in hand. I'm walking out the door with my cell phone. I will do everything to get there. If you need to call somebody else, I understand. Like, I that's closer. Like, I'm not far, but I don't, I don't want to like be show up late right. for the first time with a met. So anyway, you have to be ready for that. That was my first experience there. And their first impression of me, how can he handle? So you have to be ready for almost anything. That happened many times with different orchestras where it was like, we need you here. The concert starts in an hour. And, you know, you just have to, it's a fun challenge. And it certainly gets your heart pumping <laughs> <laughs> uh, when that happens. Most times you have more knowledge and more advanced notice. But um you know, I was playing a lot with New York in the Met and New York City Ballet. Or sorry, not ballet. The the opera. I never played the ballet. Um, a lot of Broadway shows, um, traveling around. So it was very eclectic and kind of fun to get. I got a, a lot of 
like you said, it's a thick, almost a third education when you have to sit next to so many different players, both huge names and other freelancers, you really get, uh, you have to cue in really fast on sound qualities, intonation tendencies, you have to adjust super fast. So, um, you know, it was kind of a fun challenge, I thought, to, to jump in and have that, you have to have that confidence that you can do it and, and also be flexible and not, um, not egotistical, which trumpet players aren't always known for being. I, I like to contest that. <laughs> you know, I don't know that we are, people that are in our profession now. I don't really seize that, but I know in high school, especially that's like all oh, trumpet. Right, right, right. But you run across it too. But well, you, and now that's your job, right? Your job is like your literal <laughs> thing is to. I mean, you know, you play with the the same people regularly, so maybe it's now that you've sort of figured out what those sound tendencies or characteristics are, but. To have that kind of training to be in such different places uh, only probably helped you be able to be able to fit in into the section in San Francisco and and be successful in that regard. Big time. I think it was you know as much as I you know ten years was amazing there. Learned a, a lot, but especially with our orchestras today. I mean, every orchestra is playing a lot of pops, playing movies, playing Broadway shows. I mean, my first year with the San Francisco Symphony. Um, MTT wanted to do the entire West Side Story, uh, not not the suite, not the longer the the whole Broadway book, <laughs> like the whole thing. And so, I mean, I had never heard of an orchestra doing that. I thought that was a pretty cool project and kind of uh, gutsy too, because you know that's not our main forte. You know, world class musicians, but we don't always play that. We can, luckily, <laughs> but but yeah, we're not. Yeah. It's not what we're known for, you know. Initially, like there's a lot of things. We're known for the Mahlers and, and so many other things, but I'd like to think we're getting more and more known for that too because it's pretty amazing to me how versatile most orchestras can be and especially where I am now, I'm really lucky. But I say, I say the West Side Story thing because I'd, I'd uh, um, one of my best friends, Trevor Newman, a huge freelancer in New York City, he um, was on West Side Story on Broadway and I was subbing for a couple of years on it with him. So... Uh, he and his and his other colleagues that would hire me to to come in and play. So it was kind of funny to see the roster of the first year. Like we're doing West Side Story. And I was like, cool. I already know the book. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like so a lot of those different. You got to shift gears fast, and you have to change styles and genres, and um, you know it keeps coming in the, in our the demands. So having that kind of demand freelancing. I mean, I learned so much. We could do multiple <laughs> interviews on that, but it was definitely amazing forged some great friendships and learned a lot about different conductors and you know what's different halls i mean that was the fun thing too i was playing a lot of different halls so you really got used to how your sound can change quickly and how you can adjust your sound you know that fast in a hall so it doesn't throw you off so um that can happen too how do you adjust like that so um freelancing was definitely a great um setup before winning any orchestra job all of all the places i've worked in and play pops at like you can't get away from that as a trumpet yeah. player or any instrument probably yeah and so the freelancing is the end of that 10-year period when you won the job in san francisco is that what ended your freelancing or was there something else that took you away and then you won the job no i, I won the job that was what what uh that was what got me out of new york city um you know but i I know some people just want to freelance in New York, and I, I could have seen myself um, doing that. The, the main goal was to hopefully get an orchestra position at some point, but uh, I was really enjoying all, so much. Uh, the energy is amazing. I mean, I just have to say, like in, 
any listeners, if they go to New York, you know, maybe check out some other orchestras and or, or gigs in town because you kind of can't go wrong. There's so much great talent there that um, don't just go for the big, you know, the big guys, but maybe check out some like a jazz session. Go check out a, a smaller venue and see the awesome musicians that, that play because you just get you just learn so much. So um, I, I could have seen. I, I mean, freelance, you just, you don't know what's going to happen or health insurance and how much this year. And, you know, you have to have your, your hand in a lot of cookie jars <laughs> because <laughs> one year there might be a lot of need at one organization and you're there all the time. But if you don't keep your relationships open with other groups too, uh, then once, hey, the following year, maybe they're downsizing or maybe they don't have a lot of symphonies that require extra musicians, which is Often when I was hired, not like, hey, can you come in and play second or third trumpet here? That happens. But um, a lot of it was, hey, we're playing a piece that needs five trumpets or six trumpets or something. And so seasons change yearly. So, you know, if you are if you put all your money in that one organization and then they can't hire you the next year or next two years, you have to start scrambling and starting from square one for some, some other group. So um, you kind of learn how to balance things, too. Sometimes you have to say no to a good gig because you want to not burn a bridge with another organization that's been, that has been great to you. So yeah. there's, there's politics involved, but I always felt like you had to have, not everyone did it. And I saw a lot of people hurt themselves by not, you know, I don't know, having the respect of the organization, just saying, wow, this money's going to come in. I, I'm bailing. Like you can't do that. So I don't think that's the, this, the integrity of, of it. And in the long run, I think it, it pays off and it's karma kind of too, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, you yeah. want to treat, groups and organizations well and, and hopefully you can um, pick and choose and also learn the right ways to like sub out a gig too because um, you can get out of stuff too I've, I've had to do that a bunch of times where it was like kind of begging the people please like this is a really good <laughs> I almost didn't get to go on tour once with New York Phil because I couldn't get out of two gigs yeah and I was like there's no way I have to make this happen <laughs> so well, and I was going to uh, ask you like if there was sort of a principle or something that people can use to sort of ground themselves to help make some of these really tricky decisions but you just said integrity which seems like it would sum that up just being like you know realizing that I, I just feel like it can come from a place of two things one like this better opportunity comes along I want that or number two is like the fear of you know you're making decisions out of like fear of like, why am I going to lose this? Or like, what's this going to be? When it yeah. seems like something like integrity, uh, focusing on just being good for the things you say you're going to do is a nice way to sort of ground yourself. But also then you are that person to that organization and hopefully that will be rewarded in the long term as well. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think it the genuine person to me when I see people, you know, subbing out here in San Francisco and in New York, it's the people that actually have the heart to say like do the right thing and be completely honest they they already have the genuine like desire to do the right thing so i always appreciate you know someone that will say hey listen i just got this other opportunity i don't want to like have to leave this job but i would like to do that too what what do you think the right way about going about it and you know is there a way that i can that already makes me want to say yes go do the other job because this person cared about like checking in first instead of just saying hey i'm out like that that shocks me that people do that, but it happens. <laughs> um, you know, just to have the general like good intention to help makes makes other people want to go further for you. So, you know, the, I would say a big general rule would be if if you do get called for a better job, 
and you want to get out of another, another job that doesn't fit or there's a conflict. Sometimes it's not even just a better job. It's just there's a conflict and you want to try to do multiples is get another sub first. Don't hire them. Put them on hold. Say, hey, hey, Ryan, I can't do this gig. Are you available if I can get out of it? And the contractor agrees. So then at least I've got this fantastic trumpet player on hold, right? right? right. You're on hold. I didn't hire you officially. I made sure you were free. So find a great player. Then you call the organization and say, hey, I have this other opportunity. I haven't accepted yet. Um, I really would like to. I, I hope you agree that it would help my career. I, you've been great to me, and I don't want to, I'll never, I'm not going to leave you hanging. <laughs> I, I found out a great player, Ryan Beach, is available, and, and uh, he can play the job. He's agreed that it'll work for his schedule, and you know, if, if you would release me, he could play, or you can still call anybody on your list first, whoever your preference. Like, I didn't speak for you. You know, I didn't like yeah. pre-hire yeah. you, but just so that they know they have the security that like, hey, this person actually found someone first. We're totally covered. That makes someone not like, oh my gosh, I have to scramble at the last minute to find a player. Like you're already covered if you want to be, but you can also still have the freedom to to uh, hire whom you choose first. That goes a long way. Like yeah. it's just it's just kind of like you know, and now now you're thankful that maybe you have a job and hopefully they hire you. Usually more often than not, they'd hire you than going on their list unless they had to contractually. And so now like, you know, you helped me, I helped you. And that kind of goes around in circles in the freelance world that like, I was really lucky. I would say the trumpet world in New York for the most part was really friendly. Like it was very much, like, of course we all want to be working, but it just had a nice vibe of like, hey, can you help me out with this gig? Because I could, oh sure, I'll take a lesser job help you out and then they help you. so it, it kind of comes around and kept circling and it didn't feel like non-stop uh you know competitive like feel where I mean, there's portions of that sure but it didn't feel as though uh i don't know it was very much we'd go out for drinks later we'd go grab bites we, it, and it wasn't just like i gotta do this for networking it was like hey i really want to hang out with this player yeah. and like chat and hang out we're buds and so i don't know a little goes a long way too in that realm so for the San Francisco audition itself, um, I don't know. We don't have enough time probably for you to, to dive into um, like what preparation looks like for you. But I'm kind of curious if there are certain um, elements of an audition preparation that you feel like are essential. Um, if you have maybe a certain order that you think about uh, things in, about breaking things down or running mock audition, running mock lists or whatever. Just if there's like sort of a general, like for me, this element is absolutely important. I can't skip over it. Also when working, I make sure that I have these elements in place, just like kind of a generalized thing that people might be able to apply to their own preparations for various things. Sure. Uh, where to start? Yeah, <laughs> uh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, a lot of things, are probably pretty general, you know, got to practice and listen to lots of different orchestras and players to try to hear the different sounds you like. I, I think, uh, oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> I like to, to generalize quickly, but number one, I would say with auditions is I want to feel as comfortable as I can on the stage. Now, that might sound funny, but I feel like the more I could take other variables off of our already hectic day and different mentalities and nerves. The more I feel like when I am um, on that stage, it's my stage. And that doesn't mean it's like, I, I don't want that to come out wrong. I, I just feel like if you just you, want to a be lot confident. Of players, yeah. Yeah. A lot of players go on. And I did this for sure when I was younger, I was very frustrated at some auditions. Like I, I, 
I didn't like I feel like I prepared great and then I'd show up and I didn't feel like I played like me and I know that's a typical response like but I really felt like what is going different so I think a lot of young especially young players would get on stage and they kind of it's one of those moments when you get on stage and you kind of play a piece when you're young and you think was that good or was that what they wanted and I think the more I shifted my mindset into not playing for what they wanted it was more playing, what do I think of the piece? How do I think it should go? How am I going to own it? And thinking it was more like, I'm going to do the piece justice to the degree that I think it deserves, and I hope they like it. You know, it was it was a different mentality of, you know, I know some, some people will prepare for an audition, and I'm not saying this is wrong either, but uh, saying like, I know this orchestra, and they play like this, I'm going to, that's how I'm going to audition. Well, they don't always want to rep- put the new player that they're hiring in the exact category. They might want a more lyrical player or a louder player or a softer player or, I don't know, more articulate player. There's all kinds of things. And the more that I got in my head to play like I play, like Charlie Geyer always said, listen, he said, (laughs) he's like, you don't pick the orchestra, the orchestra picks you. And I thought that always stuck with me Mm -hmm. because it, it really, it sums it up pretty quick of like, you can be the, uh, you can play the best you can ever play on that stage and they might be looking for something else. You know, you might not be the fit that day. So having a preconceived total notion of how the orchestra wants you to play makes you maybe play on stage kind of with a question mark, hoping they liked it instead of like, bam, this is it. You just play how you play. And if they like it, they'll ask you adjust like, wow, this player is pretty aggressive, but man, they can play trumpet. Let's say, Hey, can you soften up that pictures a little bit and just make it a little more lyrical and not as, you know, pointed front, uh, something. Mm-hmm. And if they like your playing, they'll ask you to adjust. But, you know, you don't always think that. So the more I felt like I would step on that stage and it was me playing for me than me playing necessarily for them, always seemed to get the more, like we're saying, being a genuine person, being a genuine player, I think really <laughs> like sells that you have a voice and a personality. Like when I hear auditions now, most of the times you could hear sometimes good playing, but you don't always hear great musical phrase or a great personality like you want of course the like basics have to be there but i feel like having something to say is way more important than trying to play perfectly in a box so for me the minute i felt like i was that gave me it took a while for me to really feel like that but feeling like i was just stable on stage instead of like nerves then i was having fun instead of feeling like this is daunting you know auditions are are a different beast um, so I tried to control the beast a little bit was, was kind of my, my take. Yeah. Can I, can I like dig into that for a second? Totally. I feel that, uh, I, I totally agree with you. I just feel that an element of control, what you you're describing controlling the beast, right? And, uh, what you're describing is trying to control elements that you can control. And yeah. when you're the other side of it, you're sort of trying to figure out how to control like what their impression is going to be. Like, I want them to like this. Um, but when you control the variables you can control, then it does take an amount of trust or whatever that like, then it's up to them to decide. And if they say no, if you put your best out there and they say no, it can feel like a personal attack, right? Like it can be like, they don't like me. So I'm just curious, what's what's your response in general to this idea that we are not our playing, we want to put our best out there, but it's not a personal attack. Like, have you struggled with this and how have you sort of come (laughs) through it? 
Yeah, totally. Um, that's a really good point. So I guess that maybe you're making me think a lot right now about that because um, that's kind of an important element. I guess it goes kind of hand in hand with at that point when I finally thought more, I, I had way better audition uh, success once I started doing that because I was, I felt like I'd lead the stage and I knew what I did and I felt better about like, if I don't advance, I'm okay with that. Cause I kind of, I felt like I re represented myself. If someone else beat me, then, you know, that's amazing. Bravo. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't meant or I wasn't there or who knows what, but I wanted to at least represent myself and that made me feel good. So yeah, we're in a, in a, in a job career path that uh, is very personal. We put our heart and soul in it and it hurts. There's been plenty of times when it really hurts. So I, I think when I got to a, the point of trying to shift, like we talked that I also thought, you know, I'm, I'm really happy where I am. And I mean more musically than, than like financial stability or having a title position or like I liked my playing. I knew I was a good player. I had some great opportunities. Um, it was still ups and downs freelancing, but I was happy. You know, and I think being happy and content with what you are doing and, and your progress and making your musical voice hurt. I'd rather sell my musical voice and get denied. And yeah, that can hurt, but I'd rather do that. So then, then like, I don't know. I, I, at least I did that. If I didn't show, if I showed up on stage and I didn't play like I felt I could play, then it hurt way more. Yeah, getting denied because it was like I had something I think I could have offered that I didn't that day, and I was bummed. So that that motivated me more than getting into finals and not winning, but feeling like I really did well. Um, it it's gonna hit. Hard. I mean, I tell students to it's a, it's a really good thing to leave an audition and, and it hit hard. Cause it means you cared. It means you wanted it. Right. It wasn't just a trial run. Like it should hurt, but you also have to know how to bounce back from that too. Um, yeah, there's tons of ups and downs in music. You got to have thick skin, or it's it's uh, it, it still hurts. But you have to know how to deal with it. I think, um, and and put your head up. And the next day is the next day, and you brush off the dust <laughs> when it settles. And um, you you still try to learn from that. Um, try to figure out what you did that made you more comfortable, what made you less comfortable, and what maybe could you have done on stage to uh, represent it. So it's it's going to hit hard, and it kind of should. Yeah. Do you have is your relation like is the opposite of success failure to you, or do you have a different relationship? To me, it's like I don't even really think about failure as failure. You know, like I didn't like not winning a job is not failing, right? It's just like yeah, I would I would definitely agree with that. that yeah. I wouldn't see that as failure. But I, there's a lot of you know I, I read all these quotes about success and 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 like success and failure are often in the same sentence. And so to me, it like misses the point of the conversation that it's like we shouldn't even be talking about failure. Like failure is this nebulous thing that to me almost doesn't exist. It's just a perspective. And so I'm kind of curious. You were just talking about feeling like you're going to try to learn something and take away and what are you going to do tomorrow? Just like what your relationship is with, um, you know, do you have a process for how you um, sort of sift through uh, things that don't go the way you want them to, or just a way for you to say, all right, what can I learn from this? And then how do I integrate that into what I do the next time around so I can present an even more refined, even more personal type product? Sure. Um, well, first, first of all, I'd like to say that like, it's funny. I love to watch the Shark Tank. I don't know yeah. if you watch that at all. Yeah, and yeah. I've heard and read articles like this a lot. I think it was Mark Cuban that said, uh, you know, the most successful people he knows failed way more. 
And so not to say that failure is definitely like the definition you and I were saying, like, because I don't think failing in an audition, it just means you didn't win. It, it's not really failure. But I, I would, always took that quote, like Mark Cuban said, as pretty evidence. Like, especially when you're younger, you, you're going to fail probably way more than you succeed as far as auditions or, or even a recital. Like, you're going to find some, like, you know, some parts in your armor that are a little loose that you got to tighten up. And, uh, and then some parts that are just amazing and ironclad and you're in great shape. So um, giving yourself a, a free card, like, hey, I'm, it's not to say, like, you still need to go in the mentality you want it. But um, you have to test the waters and taking chances musically and in an audition and anywhere it has to happen. And then you find how more... Uh, consistent you can be uh so i don't know i, I see people who fail like fail quote a quote unquote and they um hits them really really hard so i like to say like hey you know you should go you should go out there get the experience get get those things so uh, then to answer your question i guess about like what do i do the next day i <laughs> usually after audition if it didn't work out uh next day is probably a, a day off <laughs> like uh, yeah, quite honestly <laughs> unless i have a gig it's like okay i'm yeah. just gonna take a day to kind of chill because i worked so hard going up to that i deserve like sure. you know something to chill um I, i'll go right back to it again but i try to think of like other ways outside the box how i can improve what can i do so to say to like to make yourself more comfortable on stage so one thing i i, I did that i changed big time was i tried to think of like well what threw me so if an audition like you're usually playing in a hall you've never played. Or even if you have, you've played with a full orchestra and an audience. It sounds totally different. So I just, you know, sometimes I find like the first couple excerpts, I was almost thinking like I was calculating the reverb and how <laughs> my articulation was or how loud or like Boston Symphony Hall to me when I auditioned there once felt like I couldn't play soft enough. And it really threw me because I felt like it was so live and beautiful that even my like soft softs were so loud to me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do when I get to like a Strauss piece? Like I'm in trouble. Yeah, what am yeah. I going to do? And so I found myself focusing more on like more. My brain was thinking about adjusting and still thinking about adjusting instead of what music I wanted to make, you know. And so that threw me. So I said, okay, how do I change that? Like I can't go like to every place I'm gonna audition. I can't play in their hall alone. It's never gonna happen. But what I can do is try to play. Like you get used to practicing the same place. You get used to practicing at the same angle in your room. It's gonna sound the same. You get used to playing in the same or several small rooms in a college. Like you have to not only go into different rooms, churches, halls, rehearsal spaces, and with the goal of how fast can I adjust? You put your recording device out there, you do a warm-up outside of that room, so you don't have a clue what it's going to sound like, or you're at least, you know, somewhat surprised, and you make a mock audition for yourself and your recording device, and you listen in that room, how different, how, how fast can I adjust? So I got good at going to lots of different places that I could get access to alone, and doing mock auditions immediately, like not warm up for an hour in here and then do an audition and listen back that I've just missed the purpose. So you try, I try to nitpick the little points that I'm like, well, I have to try to recreate this. I have to try to make this sound like, um, my knee jerk, your knee jerk reaction in audition is not always under your control. And I don't, like you said, I don't think you should always try to control everything, but certain things that I've noticed, like, okay, it's throwing me, the hall throws me sometimes. It, that then it did, but but um, when you're alone, because it's totally different than the hall. 
like yeah. when when it's full orchestra and, and everything else. So that was one thing I did. I that I'm like I don't think anybody else is probably doing this. They might go to the same church, let's say, but they've done it for years and they know the church. It's still good to play in a big space, but try to do things you've never done before. If you felt like you played great in an audition and it didn't work out, it doesn't mean it was your playing, but but if you notice something that threw you a little bit, try to get creative and think outside the box. I think some of the most successful musicians I know are very intelligent and they always are thinking outside the box and inspirational. Like, wow, I never thought to do that. So what I was doing, I already thought I was doing a lot in my preparation, but I kept trying to think, what's the next step? What's the next level that will help me? And to each person, it'll be different. Some people might not have had that um, issue or felt like it was something that threw them. For me, I was like, wow, I just kept thinking about it instead of just, I'm going to play and I'll try to adjust. But I, my mind went away from the music instead. I probably played well, but not like, wow, we want to hear that person in this round. So, um, and that is the knee jerk reaction, right? (laughs) That is the, do I want to hear this person again or do I not? It's not like, Oh, I like, I think their intonation is great. And their articulation is clean. It's like just the whole thing put together makes you say yes or no. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I have one more question about this, and then yeah. we can kind of move on to to other things. Um, what I, I don't know if you can come up with a ratio, but what's the <laughs> what's the relationship between like mock rounds and actual sort of like nuts and bolts kind of work where you're sort of working through it? Because I think both are important to be able to incorporate into what you're doing. Because I, I would imagine some people out there when they prepare for an audition are only practicing things maybe under tempo or or they're just practicing an excerpt and then this and then that and not running. And maybe some people are only, that was kind of mine for a long time, just like running excerpts over and over and over again, which can be great for presentation, but maybe you're not like actually improving the the things that you need to improve. You're just sort of getting better at running it. For you, what's the balance? Do you have sort of a system or a structure of how you balance those, um, those two things? Yeah, well, uh, man, especially I could say it's probably a little different if you're, not, I mean, in your college or you're just out of college, you're not working a lot. The balance is much different because I think, because you have to really, like, you have to show up to your job every day and do great, right? <laughs> like, you can't practice all day and be shot and then go play a, a two-hour concert. That's pretty, it's, for most people, pretty tough. So the balance of, of trying to do that, I find almost changes weekly. And and one of my theories with um, auditions is a, a lot of that, I think, I don't know. I had some friends who who laughed at me once when I did like three auditions within, I think like two weeks, which at first I thought was nuts too. And then I started thinking like, well, pretty much I, I think a lot of auditions are being in great shape and then musically being able to present. So if you're in great shape, you can probably do that. If you're not in great shape, like I didn't win any of them. Okay. So I'm not saying like, Hey, I did three (laughs) auditions. I didn't win any of them. So I, but I mean, I felt like it wasn't a crazy thing to do. I felt like, Hey, I was in shape. I had time to prepare. I could balance the sheet. Um, so part of it is if you feel like you're in good shape, of course, there's things to work on. I don't want to beat myself to death all day. on like playing Petrushka 20 times in an hour, (laughs) you know, like, so I don't know, I guess, I guess my first session of the day would be kind of like, I'm going to touch the nuts and bolts. And and if some of the basics aren't quite where I want them or need, that would be something I hope I have a month, let's say, for the audition. I'll try to chart in my brain like, okay, I need to work more on my triple tonguing. I haven't done it in a while, let's say. Let's make sure every day I'm hitting that. So the balance changes. I guess the ratio, it would be something like, I don't spend a, 
I never spent a ton of time just on basics. I would try to jump maybe like 30 minutes on basics and then I do etudes, let's say. And, uh, and if some of the basics weren't quite working like I want, then I go back to them. So it, it's such a hard thing to sure, say. Yeah. I would say for audition, I'm mainly practicing audition repertoire and music that I was preparing for my freelance work. Right, right. Um, but I would, I would definitely, as the audition got closer, I'd do more and more mock auditions. So I was trying not only to build up my, uh, being able, like how strong you were from start to finish, finish an audition, but I also wanted to like get the mentality of like, I'm going to play this excerpt back to back to back to back, not over and over. So I would do one audition, mock audition a day, let's say a month out. And then three weeks out, I might do two a day. And then I do three a day because I really wanted to feel like I was building up. Even if the audition didn't go great after like all the other things you did in the day, in the long run, even, you know, with a week, several weeks to go, you can build that up. So um, mock audition was always, I don't know, uh, it was one and done. And then I tried to listen to it later. I wouldn't always listen to it right then and there. I usually would listen to it later. So I was really hitting it and focused on what I wanted to work on in, in my session. And then, you know, I would maybe listen to the back on the subway, riding to a gig, you know, really I try to like maximize the time. What else am I gonna do on the subway? I can't practice. So I can at least mentally practice. So, um, I don't know. I like definitely practicing far more in my adult career for the actual audition than basics at that point. Um, Cool. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a very open-ended question obviously. I'm not yeah. I'm not trying to pre- present this is the ultimate. I'm just curious like what your thoughts are about that cuz uh, I I think about that stuff all the time. So I I, yeah. I love getting uh other people's perspectives. Um I think it would be very cool to sort of just shift into a bit of like a not like a day in the life type thing, but like what is it like being in the San Francisco Symphony? You know, like what does your life look like um not just in terms of the schedule, because I think, myself included, I, f- I think I get it in my head that it's one thing, but I think it's much busier than I anticipate it to be, you know? And so, <laughs> yes, like, the salaries are higher in these groups, but um, there's also, like, a workload and an expectation that comes with it. So I'm kind of curious just, like, what it is for you to be prepared for the job, what the possible workload looks like on average, and then also, what does it look like for you to be sort of like a person on the outside of that? Like what other thing, how do you fit in like things for you so your whole life isn't just, I am second trumpet in the San Francisco Symphony, <laughs> just like balancing those kinds of things. Yeah, that's that's a lesson in of itself that takes years and years and years for that one. Yeah, <laughs> um, right, right. It's, well, music's always t- constantly balanced. I think most of life probably is too, you know, to that degree. You're just trying to balance and make sure you're, there's never enough time to do everything, so you really have to prioritize. So, I don't know. Being being in the San Francisco Symphony was a dream. I'm I feel so happy to be here and and great colleagues, great orchestra, to say the least. I'm just like I love adding my voice to that, and um, it's exciting for sure. And there's a lot of, um, I mean, pressures inside and out in good ways that uh, you want to do justice to the job and for your colleagues and music director and. Um, I think that's, I mean, why it's integrity. We talked about it earlier. It's just like, it's like really, there's so much to do in, in exciting ways and get to play the same pieces sometimes, but with a different perspective is, is great. So I, um, yeah, the workload's high <laughs> for sure. We have, I, I 
forget what the number was, but I think a few years ago there was like an article that talked about the orchestras with the most concerts. And I don't really, <laughs> I don't think that's a trophy everybody wants to win, <laughs> but but it, it just shows how high the workload is. It was, uh, it was nearly the same number of, I think it was almost 300 concerts a year. You know, there's sometimes there's double orchestras in the same week. Sometimes we split into two. So they, I'm sure they're calculating that too. So it's not like I'm on stage 300 concerts a year by any means, but it's, it's pretty high. It's probably 250, I would think, Yeah. Um, with all the different shows you do. So, I mean, with that comes lots of different music and stacks of it. So, um, and especially as a one-on-a-part player, uh, it's uh, like you're, we're exposed as trumpet players and any wind instrument, you know, big time. So with that comes, again, more like, you got to prepare right. You have to balance. You have to be ready at night not to beat yourself up and um, and be able to recover. So a lot of that comes from experience of knowing what you're capable of and how you can recover and what that balance is so that you're not like, I hope I pr- didn't practice too much today and I hope I didn't practice, like I hope I didn't under practice. Like, so there's, you yeah. know, you really have to, so you, you get your schedule, you know, pretty far in advance usually, <laughs> not always. And, and, Again, freelancing helped with all that thing, balancing a large number of pieces to learn quickly and, you know, last minute substitutions that happens all the time when they need a different piece or they couldn't get the rights to a piece or a conductor got sick and they want to, the new one wants to change the program, uh, any number of things. So uh, you try to practice as far out as you can for the pieces that you know are going to be on there. So at least you've listened to them. You've made your markings in your part. Um, I try to, to get that kind of dialed in so that if anything changes, I, uh, I have better time management later because I'm not like, wow, now I have to prepare for this difficult symphony and this brand new piece that we just got be- two days before. And it's got all this crazy piccolo trumpet on it or something. And right. you're like, well, you know, you kind of have to prepare in a different way so that, and it might not happen. There might not be an emergency like that. So, but for me, I'm, I feel more, like grounded and solidified by by preparing like that. Um, the day in the symphony, you know, we, we often have three or four concerts a week. If it's a subscription week, we uh, it's usually the same program all week. But there's always a rehearsal for the following week, so you have to be ready to maybe play, you know, Shostakovich five in the morning and you know some huge Einheldenleben at night. So <laughs> those things happen, and um, yeah, you have to get in your routine and what works for you. So that to me, you know going to work and getting being flexible that's that's kind of huge just being as flexible as you can night after night and rolling with the punches if something doesn't go great in one movement it might go fantastic next movement if you mentally and and physically can recover and know what you're doing so um otherwise you're going to be a basket case (laughs) kind of thinking about like oh my gosh you gotta do this and i don't know as much as you can kind of um i don't know i always feel thankful especially especially after you know wanting a job like this for so long as we all do, I feel so happy and lucky. I want to do the job justice and my college sure. justice. So yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like I'm going for it. I'm swinging for the fences and, uh, and you have to have confidence. I think there's a big difference of you can't play trumpet and not have some confidence. And there's a huge difference between being like cocky and confidence. It's like, you know, you, confidence is very different to me. And if you're not confident on stage, it's going to sound like it. It's going to sound like you're, you know, so you know, it's also your job to kind of be tired and make the audience not have a clue. And right. so at the end of the night, you're like, oh, my gosh, I got, I'm really shot right now. And hope no one, you know, I, 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 it, it works. And all the preparation, you have to prepare investing in yourself, that you're preparing yourself ready 
that you can hopefully combat those things. So that's kind of, and then when you get on stage, you try to enjoy it. That's the main thing. Like music's about having fun, in my opinion. So like, if I'm not having fun on stage, I have to again tweak something. Yeah, so yeah. when all said and done, the minute you walk on stage, it's it's game day. It's let's have fun and let's see what your colleagues are going to do. That you can, you know, second trumpet. What's my job to enhance? You know what Mark's doing and the principal player and and try to add my voice too. But like, how can I um, have fun with? you know, my amazing colleagues on stage. So it's exciting. It's fun. It's, uh, it's got its challenges. Um, it's, it's really awesome to be here and, and such a great group. Yeah. I've, I, I mean, I, from what I understand, it's, it's sort of exceptionally, um, I don't want to say familial, but you guys get along, uh, exceptionally well on the scale of orchestras that I've heard. I mean, I feel like generally orchestras get along, but it seems like you guys are beyond that. Like, friends you really i mean there are you hear these horror stories of people in orchestras that can't get along or anything like that and i think it makes such a huge difference to job you know satisfaction is not just do i get to play this music but uh, do i enjoy the people around me that i get to make music with and so uh, it's a yeah. pretty cool thing to be able to hear that the people around you contribute to your uh, job satisfaction in that way Absolutely. I totally agree with you. You never know what you're going to get into in certain orchestras <laughs> and that there's always going to be, you know, that's another thing. You just, it, I think you have to be very flexible personality wise in orchestras and, um, you know, and hope that you get a, a situation that you love, but that's not always the case. I've, I've seen it, I've been in it and, um, and you're still going to do the job the great way you want to do it. And you hope that they help make it even more fun and easier. Right. Yeah. So this is something I've been talking about a lot with people, um, things like suffering and struggle, um, because I feel like it, it's not about humanizing others. It's about trying to, in my opinion, talking about struggle is an opportunity to talk about redemption, right? And it's an opportunity to talk about how somebody came through some amount of struggle in order, hopefully, to be able to help encourage others. And so um, I'm just curious if there are, things in your life, we all have them to some extent that are like somewhat defining. It could be playing, it could be like in, in your personal life, just like, are there certain things that you've had that maybe you've struggled with or um, that just have been like really tough times, but you feel like sort of taught you life defining lessons that you're in some ways glad you went through this really hard time for because you learned the lesson, even if you wouldn't really like think about it that way, especially in the middle of it. I'm just curious if there's anything like that for you that we can kind of dive into. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> you, get, you get to control how vulnerable you are. Here, yeah, you know? <laughs> I know. Like, like you know, I'm trying to yeah. think of some some good examples of of things. Jeez, uh, I don't know. And I'm also not trying to make it sound like, uh, well, after this audition, this happened and that. But like, uh, I don't know. The best. Let me let me think on this one for a moment. <laughs> I probably should have told you um, this ahead of time. No, it's a good one. I mean, we. Listen, I've, I've, I've also like, there's a lot of players out there that have, like you're saying, vulnerabilities and some huge names too. And I've seen some people go through some huge things too, including me, that uh, everybody has them. So I'm, I'm like reconfirming or re, re, you know, agreeing yeah, that yeah. this is something that people don't normally talk about. And a lot of guys are starting to talk about it a little bit more. Um, and it's amazing. So anybody listening out there, like confidence, again, I, I'll say like investing in yourself so that you're happy because, you know, 
you don't know what that always entails. It doesn't always, your career path doesn't always go the exact way you thought it would go. Mine didn't. Eventually got to where I originally hoped to be, but I, I knew that there were times in my career that that wouldn't happen or maybe wouldn't happen is my point. So like you have to be okay with that. So like, I don't know, after I got runner up at the Metropolitan Opera, I don't know, I was probably like 24 and Ray Riccamini won it. And we played all, we played a lot of other jobs now, like together. It's really like, we're good buds. And um, I didn't really know him that well back then, but I was really sad. I worked so hard for that audition and was young and I was, I basically almost had no money in my bank account. And I knew I saw it and I'm like, well, work's not, I think it was my second year in freelancing. I'm like, well, I'm not getting a whole bunch of work right now. They come in waves. And, and so I put everything into this audition, my heart and soul, everything. And I remember walking away from not winning and being runner up and being bummed. And as I'm walking to the subway, uh, phone rings, it's a number I don't know. And I'm, and I'm like, oh, maybe this is someone from the organization or, or someone who was on the audition saying great job or you never know what. And, 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 the, and so I was like, I didn't win, but you know, they did say they wanted, they, they wanted to hope to, that was what got me on the sub list there. That's mm. how I first started. So I already knew because they said that. I was like, that's that's pretty cool. But I was really bummed. I'm like, okay, I got to work at Starbucks next week. <laughs> and, you know, and I was okay with that. I was like, it'll help, you know, I'll find a job somewhere is my point. Like, and hope to keep, you know, funding music. But and I was okay with that, being okay with it. So anyway, the phone rang and it was, it was a call, long story short, to go play Messiah. I'd never done Messiah at that point. And it was like pennies and tons of services. And so it went from like almost winning this great job to like, I, I just, I mean, it honestly would have cost me more money to do the job by a lot. And so I was, it was a very bumming moment. But this, that compared, I'll say another story too, but um, that's a little more impactful, I think. Sure. But uh, no... I don't know, getting that call for a, 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 it's still, I still wanted to hold my head up high. I just did something that I was happy about, that I, I got some really good results that I hadn't had in a bit. So it was like, I wanted to celebrate the down moment as much as it hurt not to get the job and to be like, hey, your next jobs might be not very good and not pay the rent even close. So I had to just, recovery of having faith that it'll happen has really helped me. Um, maybe the one that might help even more on that topic would be a little more vulnerable, but I think will help. Um, I would say maybe like year eight, I've been auditioning and, and, um, feeling good, but getting semis or occasional finals and it wasn't happening. And I was like, what's going on? And that was a big change when I started shifting my mindset even more to like, you know, I told my parents and they didn't love this. I said, I just don't care. And I, this is going to come across wrong. <laughs> it was when I shifted my mindset more of like, I, what I meant by I don't care is I was happy with my career in New York enough that I was, ha I was content. I was happy. I wanted more. But if I didn't win the audition, I didn't care. It didn't define me. So I, I just decided I'm going to go to these auditions and, and, and play my heart out. And I, and they're like, you have to care. I'm like, I want to win the job, yeah, but yeah. I feel like I don't need it yeah. to, to like, uh, validate me. You know, I was mm -hmm. like, this is, I still love, I loved what I was doing. So I went to an audition, ironically enough in San Francisco <laughs> for the, they had two openings 
And I felt I played my heart out and I got semis and I'm like, this might happen. I felt like I was on fire. Like I was in there. I was ready to go. I played my semi round and there's two jobs like, okay, I've been getting a lot of runner ups. So sweet. This might be my time, you know, started to get my, I started not celebrating too soon, but just like getting excited that maybe this will be the chance, you know, yeah. this will work. And uh, I played a great semi round and then I didn't move on. And I was like, what is happening? Yeah. What the heck is ha- Like, how is this not? And I had other friends and teachers and, you know, people I really trusted saying there's no reason, you know, you should have a position somewhere. Like, uh, what's happening? So I remembered um, not winning the job here hit me very hard uh, that time, uh, really hard. And I was like, I can't believe I didn't win this position. Like, I can't, I, I couldn't believe I didn't make finals more than anything. Like, it really felt like I was in the right zone. And, um, and I'm like, I couldn't believe like am i it was a moment that i had to say i was like measuring my own strengths so like i had to question myself am i cut out for this i mean i'm being real here (laughs) like like i had to ask that like is this not gonna happen am i gonna keep running into this wall and never crashing through it and you know and i remember pacing in my hotel room just being really like it's like falling in love with the same person 20 million times and it's like Hey, there's hope. No, there's not. Hey, there's hope. No, and it just felt like, man, how many times can I do this? Like, and not be like roadkill, you know? So uh, that hit hard. And I remembered when the they hired Mike Deshaun, and then they didn't hire a third player, or I think it was associate principal for that role for this the other opening. And I remember thinking like, okay, I'm gonna take. I told myself, and I of course I broke it, but it was a real moment of like, maybe I should just continue freelancing. Do I want to do that? Or do I need to think of, am I happy? So this was the big moment, of, one of the biggest moments of am I happy? And um, and I just knew, like, I loved freelancing. I really liked it, but I wasn't sure that I wanted to do it forever. So it was kind of like a, I'd already been doing it for eight years, I think, at that point. And, like, do I want to continue doing this? I really liked it, but I didn't know it, whether I wanted to, I didn't want to call it quits. I didn't want to know, I wanted to. I wanted to find out what made me happiest, let's put it that way. And I told myself, there's going to be another audition here in San Francisco, and that will be my last audition. <laughs> no joke. And you're I just going to tell this story. I'm, this is so cool because you're going to tell this story, <laughs> and it's going to prove, like, a the, like a, I think, like a theory. Because you're talking about that last audition was the one that Jeff won, right? Yeah, so yeah, I, you're gonna... I didn't stick to my guns. <laughs> but... but thankfully you didn't, right? Right. Because it so, was literally but... the very next one. Yeah. So what? It, so for me, it was weird because like, it was the audition I orchestra I eventually won, and but it was really a, I had to find out what I wanted again and and see what made me happy because and, and not knowing what I wanted made me not happy. <laughs> so that was the problem. It wasn't other things. It was like, so anyway, I went. I ramped up my audition process. I ramped up, I changed everything. I thought outside the box as much as I possibly could to do something different. Don't keep preparing the same way every time. Um, Try to change something a little because you might get different results. So I'd gotten run off for a lot of places and it was, that was the problem for me too, was like, it just was really weird to feel like, how am I that close so many times for big jobs? Like, not just like, any, any job, much less some big ones. I'm like, how can I get that close to a really like, prestigious position? Clearly, I've got something they're interested in and then not getting it. So I finally was like, I'm out of ideas. So, But I, I 
I ramped it up again, and um, and again, like I to be very real, like I, I think I could have won a position earlier. It didn't happen. That's going to happen to many of us, unfortunately. But um, it made me a stronger musician in person for it, and this was definitely a pivotal moment. So I, I, I practiced harder. I said the next audition was my last audition. It wasn't. I took two more <laughs> after that. So I took three. But um, in the process of really diving in and soul-searching and music soul-searching, I found even more love for music again instead of trying to like prove myself and get like the checks on the wall from other people i found that i really what i loved in music and i really was good at it <laughs> like i love music it, it i needed my own self-validation kind of for um for knowing like if i don't get the job everything's gonna be okay like i'll figure it out and things will be cool and you know i was playing better than I, even better than I had been in New York. And I was getting really great opportunities. And, you know, a lot of other things kept happening from this change in, in bigger degrees. So, so yeah, I went to the next San Francisco audition, put my heart and soul in it and got uh, me and myself and Jeff Biancolana got trials and, uh, and Jeff won. And of course that hurt <laughs> because I wanted that. And I thought that was my last audition, right? <laughs> like, and I didn't win. So what do I do now? <laughs> you know, do I break my own promise? Right. But I, I was so invested in me that I, and I love what I was doing. I found more love in what I was doing is having more fun and that changed everything. So I, I went to LA Phil and got uh, in finals when Tom Hooten won. And shortly after that, I, then they had the second showboat audition here and was like, all right, I'm going, I'm going to go back to San Francisco again. Right, and they right. know me that they, they know me this time at least. And you know, uh, that doesn't always help. It doesn't always hurt. So I'm, I'm like, I had a great trial week and you know, Jeff's a fantastic player. I was, I, was, um, I, I love working with Jeff and you know, it, it, it didn't work for me that time and it worked this time. And it's like you said, some things work in an order that you don't always anticipate or like, and it makes sense later. I love playing second trumpet and it was a good time for everything. You know, it was kind of like, um, things were going great in New York. I felt really good. And I mean, you never know the next year it might not have been <laughs> with, with different situations right, and, right. and needs. So anyway, that was a definite soul searching moment for me, um, to, to know, like kind of confirm to myself that what I'm doing, I was doing it. I was doing it right. I could do it more and I was happy. And that alone made me play like me. Instead of like, I have to win this job. I right. have to do this. I have to. I was probably putting too much pressure on myself. And once I released that a little bit and knew like I was a good player, I. it's always great to get other people say they like you playing or anything. But to me, I was like, I'd love to get that. But I don't, I didn't absolutely need it at that point, And that really helped me. It was a changing point. Like, do I stop playing? Do I stop auditioning? You know, what do I do? So that, that whole process refocused my energy on what I wanted and I knew I wanted what I, I knew I wanted the gig and damn it, I'm, I'm going, if I'm not going to, I'm either going strong or I'm crashing and burning, man. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of where I went with it. Well, I feel that story is so important because earlier in the interview, you had said, you know, playing like you is super important, but knowing that that's like where a lot of that was solidified and where it came from, like helps to understand that like, it wasn't all for nothing. It actually led you to this thing that is like, what is what, caused you to be able to put present a more and more refined i mean you're making finals of all these auditions you know and 
that's so cool to know that it came from this like place of deep like soul searching, not just like I made this decision to say I'm going to be more myself, but to actually have been forced to really figure out like what does that actually mean. That's yeah. so cool to me. I, I do. <laughs> I, I would love your opinion on this. I, you have to know people that are like this that'll say, <laughs> "Sure, you know what? I'm gonna." Like they're maybe not doing well in auditions or something like that. And they say, you know what? I'm going to do this until I'm 27. And then if I don't want a job by the time I'm 27, I'm going to quit. It's obviously not for me. And I always wonder if you if, if you could see into the future and you were able to tell them, well, on like the day after your 27th birthday, you're going to win a job. Like, <laughs> yeah. would you stick it out one more day? And like, they'd probably be like, well, yeah, if I knew, well, of course there's no, there's no guarantee of anything. But if that, if you could like do that, you might as well just say, well, maybe I'll do another one and see what happens, especially if you really want it. But you're like living proof that this is my last one. And it was like shortly after your quote last one that it actually landed. It's like living proof that that's kind of not in some ways. Yes. You're testing it out to see, is this for me? But it's also not the, like the best mark for like, this is the way we should go about making decisions is just to draw an ultimatum that may not be coming from a place of actual decision-making, just like frustration. Yeah. I know some friends that, that did that too. They said, I need this job. Uh, I need a job by this point or I'm out. And they did. <laughs> and some that did it sooner that said, this isn't for me. And that's totally okay. You know, that was the other thing that, that I think when I was trying to decide what I wanted, that was an okay outcome. If that made me happy, if that was what needed to be, that's not a, like, again, you're not a failure. You tried. I would feel worse for me personally if I didn't try. Mm -hmm. You know, if I hadn't tried for all those years, if I only tried for a small amount, that's, I mean, everyone's got their different goals and what they define as a success, you know, sex success doesn't just mean, you know, monetary or a title. Yeah. So what, what makes you happy? Basically what's, what makes you successful could be almost interchangeable. Um, uh, where's it going with that? <laughs> but yeah, some people just, yeah, they decided it wasn't for them and it's going to happen. They've, they've gone on to other really great careers too, and they're happy, you know, and they, some people really want the weekend free, you know, right, we don't right. ever, we don't have many weekends free. Um, that's a nice perk too, but we have pretty great perks of what we do and what we can offer to our audiences, um, as well. So, um, I would just say, just like with music, you gotta be flexible at any moment. So, and the yeah. same thing with, with what you think your goals are, they're going to change, you know, they're going to change it and you should write your goals down for 10 years from now and then back it off. Where do you want to be? And then they're going to change next year, but at least you kind of had an idea and you could see where where you wanted to be and you've got a mindset and a goal. Um, you could see it, you're ready to do it and you want to try to, you know, back it off every couple of years. What would it take to get to that goal? And it doesn't always mean you're going to get there either. So I would say to anybody who's like trying to set a rigid time, well, music is not rigid. It's one of the least rigid things. Two and two plus two always equals four, not in the music world. <laughs> like, you know, like it doesn't. So like yeah, every time yeah. you play something, it's a different perspective, a different way. So, I can, you know, I get it why people want to say, like, I, I want to make sure that I have a family life and I have this. If, it, if I haven't made it by 27, I'm, I want to do something that I will have job security. And if that makes you happy, then that's great. But I would like to stress if you really think you are, you have to take a reality check when you start to get a little older and in the ring as to what, if I thought I wasn't going to be competitive at all, it, I definitely would, 
I would hope I was realistic about it. And if I thought I should be able to like get better at auditioning and I found it really wasn't happening, like at one point I'm like, I'm not winning at least. Um, then I think I would have come to that. And if I'd really worked hard and had kept having the same result, that maybe would have, you know, been like, if I didn't move on at all on any of those three auditions, that probably would have been it. Yeah. You know, I probably would have said, all right, I gave it a, I gave it hell, man. <laughs> like, and I'm proud of myself for trying. Is that so? I would say any, any people setting that that rigid date, be ready be, to be more flexible because you know there's a pretty good chance you could prove yourself prove yourself wrong. You're investing in yourself. I, I said that before, but I really feel like that's what. Be a reality check. Don't be that guy on American Idol who's like, everyone says I'm good. And it's like very clear they're not. <laughs> like, but my church says I'm good. Like, that doesn't mean you should be getting a multi-platinum record deal with Sony. Like, right. you know, you have to not be that player <laughs> like, yeah. that, that doesn't know. Like, and just keeps trying and trying and trying. Like, it's, you know, there's a lot of things besides talent that goes into this business. So, um, and you got to have fun with it. it, you, it I, that was the other thing I really learned was like, if you're not having fun with it, it's really not worth. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of diff- there's a lot of pros and cons and huge rewards from this business if it pans out. So it's worth it if if it's if you're not going where you want with it. It you know you got to be realistic with what your needs are, and they're all different. So um, that's actually sort of. I mean, I've said this before. Every once in a while, I'll be like to close out this interview, and <laughs> and it's like. You know, seventy minutes into a like a hundred and eighty minute interview. Like, I mean, that's absurd. But it, it's like I'll think this is the end. So we'll see where this conversation takes us. But you've 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 used the word needs twice now, and I'm really interested to explore this. Number one, you said that your need um, was you didn't need to be validated by an audition committee that you're doing okay, that you like believe in the thing that you're selling, and then you just said. You got to be real with what your needs are, and everybody's are different. So, what do you feel like if you've sort of uh, had these soul searching moments? Have you come to a, a a place of more clarity about what maybe your individual uh, needs are, or what drives you, and that's the thing that maybe isn't externally contingent, but rather it's like something you're able to fuel yourself with and feel like you're getting what you need. Does that question make sense? I think so. Are you, more music or more just, just anything? I, I I would love it to be anything. I mean, it could be music, but just in general, like what things do you feel like you need for you to be you, to function the way that you can function best at your job, at personal lives, as a family member, whatever other commitments or things that you have? Just in general, I think this is a great topic because um, I didn't start thinking about my own needs until relatively <laughs> recently. And then it was just like, what is that need? Like that was my first question. Like, I can't even comprehend like what I need because I don't think that way at all. So you were, you've used that word a few times. I'm kind of curious if you yeah. have sort of a place to go with it. <laughs> Sometimes the easiest, like the most basic questions can be like the hardest one. Like, whoa, that's deep, you know, like <laughs> how do you get there? Uh, I mean, I, I guess I said it before, but the first thing that pops up is just being happy. Like if I, if I didn't like the process of having to prepare and stay in shape, then then I wouldn't be happy. So definitely happiness is a need. Like I, I want to, I don't, uh, I don't know. I want to, yeah, we have, I don't know. <laughs> we have a lot of demands most people do in their, their jobs. I, I, you know, 
I told a um, friend of mine once who was an artist who does a lot of painting and sculpting and and he once I did, uh, we grew up together and he didn't um, I practiced a lot in high school <laughs> so and in college and I don't think he understood the balance until years later of why we needed to stay in that kind of shape and so mm-hmm. I said it's like it's like he said how long did you did you take to paint that and he said it was like three months and I said imagine I tell you you had to play paint that in ten minutes right now go. <laughs> like that's right. basically what we do every day, you know. Play Petrushka now. Play Beethoven. Play the Tomasi. Play whatever. Like you have to be ready to produce it. Then not like I got to write my novel in front of you in ten minutes. It's never right. going to work. Right. So um, if I didn't, so the need is that whatever your task is, you have to be happy doing it, or else it's not worth it. It's just not what you want to do. I mean, there's differences between some people that see a job just as a job. But if there's something that's more involved, I think that you have to be happy doing it or or else you're not going to feel fulfilled. So for me, I want to feel happy. I want to have a good balance. And and now I feel like I have a good balance of family life and, uh, you know, just practicing and playing and going out and, and playing concerts. So I... I needed to know how to practice too to make sure that I could practice to the to the degree to keep all those in in shape and feel comfortable on stage and still be able to do family things, you know, and to be able to go out and feel comfortable and not like I got to practice more. Um, you know, that that sorry, my webcam I think just here we go. Um, happy and just balance. I have to be able to know how to balance stuff. Um, other needs. Uh I like being able to go out in the outdoors and uh, and balance that. So I, I love to ski. So most of my, my buddies know, like, <laughs> like guy loves to ski. So finding a balance of of uh, you know we we have it's not a lot of the closest skiers are to me is four hours away driving. Right. It's not like next door. So okay, how do I find a way to get some ski days in and and still be preparing properly? So you find other like tricks on how to um, practice after a concert. If I'm going to go on a ski trip for a day or two, you know, practice late at night and then leave early in the morning. So, um, yeah, I gave off a lot to different musical things in my earlier years that maybe I didn't have the best life balance. So mm-hmm. um, I, I think balance of life is the definite need for me, not just all one thing. Everything's an evolution. I like seeing things to, you know, like the excitement of making something seeing where something's going to go in any part of life so that's kind of fun i like having fun with it even if it feels daunting it's like let's have fun with it so yeah my needs is, is just being positive about what's coming and um that that can help any situation i think um just good family and friends nice connections i don't know some of those are like probably the typical answer but it's you know basics sometimes are, are that way for a reason because they're that important so yeah totally agree. Ba- balancing life is huge you have to take the chances and believe that you can balance life and you know not be like oh man if i'd only practiced you know three hours instead of two hours that day would i have won the job you know that's <laughs> that's yeah. gonna be the game of, that's the non-ending stop ending game of what ifs right the right. what if game is not a fun game <laughs> so yeah um you have to having again confidence in what you're doing uh, that you're going to be comfortable um, with that situation. I think is uh, just makes you happier. Happiness is the number one thing. I write on the top. This is gonna sound nerdy too. Before before most of my auditions, I have a little sheet of paper that I write. It's giving away 
a little bit. It's not like a huge thing, but to me it helped, you know, whatever works for people. So I, if there's a piece in the orchestra too, that, that like has a lot, you know, on the line, let's say I, I'll write a few thoughts right before I go on stage, but top of the page of every page says, have fun. Mm. So my need is definitely, I want to be enjoying what I'm doing. You know, if I don't go on stage sounding like I'm having fun, I'm probably sounding like that sounded hard. Right, right. <laughs> like, and if oh. it's if if it comes away as like that sounded hard, you want to be the player that's like, wow, that sounded amazing. That's amazing. Or that sounded so easy that I want to go home and practice that because I think I can handle that. When really it's like, oh, then you get home and you practice it. You're like, wow, that. How did that player make it sound so effortlessly? Yeah, yeah. You know, so. The more I can make it, I want to have the mentality going in that I'm going to have fun. So yeah, your your basic question of like happiness, fun. Sounds like you're enjoying what you're doing. Yeah. Oh, that's my need. <laughs> yeah, I love. I mean, I, I really, really like just the simplicity of it. You know, what I mean, it's not. I don't think needs have to be complicated. I think it's actually better if they are simplistic. I just think myself included. Yeah, like what are your needs? What would you what would you come up with? Um, one real need of mine is uh, spending time like in reading the Bible, right? Like I need that for myself. Beyond that, having time um, to spend with my wife and my kids on a you know uh, on a regular basis is an absolute need. And then I would say I actually have a need to like it doesn't have to present itself in some sort of career related thing, but like solving puzzles seems to be something that like really gives <laughs> me happiness. So it could be like reading a book and learning and trying to put this idea together or yeah. like designing this or that, like it's sort of infiltrated into the work that I do in my life, which means I like really love and enjoy the work that I'm doing, but I'm kind of boiling it down to there, like solving the puzzle of winning an audition, solving the puzzle of, you know, what, like how to put together a good podcast, solving the puzzle of whatever <laughs> sure. these things are. Uh, yeah. For me, that's like a real need because it dry, it does drive like joy and happiness and, for sure. And you want to do it well, it sounds like, and yeah. that's awesome. It's like whatever you put your hands on, you want to do well. I guess what you're saying that I come up with my other need, I guess, I, I think it's because we are, it, you know, it's pretty in high intense jobs and playing on stage. It, it's, you put your heart and soul and you put everything on the table and it, it more often than not now it's it's like that was awesome and fun and you know I'll improve on this tomorrow like you never you never stop changing and improving and adjusting so um one of my needs i would definitely say is especially in our career everybody listening find uh something to turn your brain off mm. <laughs> like i really need that that's a definite i don't think about that till now like i don't go to sleep after a concert like i can't i know some people they go home they crash like i can't really do that mm -hmm. i need to turn my brain off first watch a tv show um sit on a balcony you know just like enjoy the fresh air um play a video game whatever sure. read a book so like i definitely get in that habit of like it's so high intense and on on. I feel like we're on all the time. You're you're constantly asked to adjust nonstop in rehearsals and concerts and in between talking with the colleagues and like, how do you want to play this section? Preparing for the following week. Absolutely essential to turn your brain off every day. There's got to be some portions where you're just kind of like, it's off. It has to be off. Yeah. Like yeah. for me, that's. It just helps a ton. Like you have to not if you're you're high strung and you're thinking about it all day long, you're gonna drive yourself crazy. <laughs> and then you're not gonna be able to like I feel like when I turn my brain off and then I go back into it, I I'm really more rested, I guess, without knowing it. That um 
I needed a breather. And then tomorrow, like, okay, now I kind of recover from things and change and, um, and, and go back at it again. But if I don't have a little bit of a breather, <laughs> I yeah. think it's, it's, it's a little too mind numbing. So I had this relationship with coffee where I, I enjoy <laughs> drinking coffee and I wouldn't drink decaf because I was like, what is the point of decaf, right? Like you are drinking coffee for the caffeine. And then, you know, I have like my, I have three cups in the morning. I, I won't really go over that even though I could just because it's like, you know, I, I like my three cups or whatever. And then so one afternoon I was like, I feel like drinking coffee, but I don't want to drink caffeinated coffee and we just i i bought kathleen for her birthday this old nest cafe you like put a little single serving little pod but you can recycle the pod so it's kind of like a keurig but the quality the, yeah it's so good and so i had this decaf coffee and i started drinking i was like this tastes amazing and <laughs> and so every day if i can do it i now have an afternoon decaf i've been posting on my instagram story and i think people are like over it but um <laughs> it's so like it's a goofy thing but it's so important to me because it's basically like my day is i do a whole bunch of stuff i like do my like i said i do my reading and the bible other books i might might do some journaling and stuff like that and then i practice my trumpet and then i take a lunch break and that's super important that I like have this break like you're describing so that maybe I'll watch like a YouTube video and eat lunch or something. And then I have like work related stuff, make a YouTube video, work with clients or whatever. And then I have this afternoon decaf, like just break. And it's so important because I just sit outside and enjoy the outside while drinking this um, cup of coffee. And it's exactly, it's like turns my brain off. I, I like start to, even if it's 15 minutes, I start to feel Yeah, you a got a breather. Bit. Yeah. And then I'm ready totally. to either do a little bit more work or maybe I have to, you know, I got to make dinner or I'm going to work with, you know, the kids or something like that. I just feel that I'm more filled doing that. And it's shocking because it's so simple, but it, it like the purpose behind it really does actually make a difference for me. So I would totally agree that sort of turning your brain off. Yeah. Dude, that's so cool. I'm so glad we had this chance to connect, man. Yeah, this is fun. We're, we're talking about a lot of good things and uh, you know, they don't always teach you this, this stuff in music school where it's just kind of, I listen to a bunch of other podcasts where it's, it's just really interesting, like kind of getting real with, with influences and, you know, career paths and, you know, finding people's routines for different things. I, I think it's, you learn a lot after school. Mark Gould said, <laughs> said it really well. He's like, he's like, you know, you think you sound like a good player when you're in college, but wait till you get out of college. And I'm like, what do you mean? He said, you, well, you you find your own voice because you're not playing for your teacher, your brass quintet coach, your band, your ensemble, your your jazz band, your your uh, orchestra director. Like you're playing for all these people all day long as a student, and you're kind of trained to be like to play something and say like, was that good? Like you're getting so many like opinions and you should humor them, but it's true. Like you're kind of like, you're in the swirl of all these different opinions that are all amazing, but you haven't quite found exactly what you want to do. And then once you get out of school and you kind of have all those tools and you're letting the sauce kind of like simmer and, and settle and like, I don't know, come to fruition the way that you go to it. That is where you really find more your voice and your in everything it's just kind of yeah. i don't know i thought it was really a, a thing like you're when you leave school you'll find your voice like you really change things and it's it's about you know it's just reality of being real you can't teach it fully in school you could tell some students certain things but you kind of don't get it till you've gone through it mm. um and you learn that way so it's uh i i like the reality of this podcast and <laughs> you know thanks so much for uh for chatting with me Shoot, absolutely well i i, I 
it feels like there's a lot more conversation to have. So there, there will definitely be a part two someday for sure. Um, if people are listening and they're like, guy sounds awesome. I want to tell him how awesome he is. Uh, are there ways that people can, uh, get in contact with you if they wanted to sort of, uh, talk to you about anything? Uh, sure. I, uh, you can always email me. It's just G Piddington, my last name, P I D D I N G T O N at Gmail. And I'm in the process of finalizing a website. So, um, that should be up hopefully in the next week. Uh, even if it's just basic, <laughs> that, sh- that yeah. maybe will be up by the time this podcast is going. Um, but, uh, definitely check out guypiddington.com. That should be open fairly soon. And it's a, it's a good way to contact and connect and doing lots of different virtual lessons too. So if anyone wants to say hi, or if you're in the area and want to play, in, in person when we can do that again uh, or over Zoom or Skype. I'm, uh, I always love connecting with, with uh, talented and eager to learn students for sure. That's awesome. So take him up on that. If uh, you got anything to say to Guy, he's obviously got just so much great advice and um, I, I would highly recommend reaching out and letting him know how you felt about the episode if, it, if it, you are so moved to do so. Uh, if you need to get in touch with me, you all know what to do. That's not spit.com at that's not spit on Facebook and Instagram. If you need to get, uh, sorry, I already just did that. So then rather I should say, if you, uh, wouldn't mind leaving a rating and a review on iTunes, I'd really appreciate that. And, um, don't forget to share this on social media so other people can find it as well. Guy, thank you so much. One more time for being on the podcast. It's been a real pleasure. Anytime. That was great. Thanks, Ryan. Um, I'd like to thank Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering this episode of the podcast. And finally, I would like to thank you for listening. Stay strong, be kind to yourself, never stop growing, and we'll see you next time.